Well, amen. Welcome, welcome, First Family. If you have your Bible, I hope it's still open to Revelation 17. Let's start with a praise the Lord for the rain we got overnight. Let's start with a praise the Lord that the God of angel armies really does stand next to us. Let us begin with a proclamation Jesus has already won. Let us declare that Jesus is victor and always will be, even over my circumstances right now. I don't have to wait for the sweet by and by. His victory is already here. If you need a good word to start the day, there it is. And I want you to declare that. If you need to, write it down in the note page that God gave you when you came through the door. You might say, well, Darren, no, the ushers gave it to me. No, God gave that to you today to use. And here's where you can start. Jesus is Lord over my circumstances. You can write that down because, you know, when we dive off into Revelation 17, we're in over our head from the beginning. And for some of us, that's pretty deep. You know what I'm saying? So when we get to this section, we find our friend John is in over his head too. I want you to see that last part of verse 6. There's a reason that we started in the middle of this verse. I want to remind you something that it's easy to forget. The Bible was not written in chapter and verse. Now I know that's shocking. I know it's alarming even. But it's true just the same. Not only that, it wasn't written in King James English. Now, I realize that's going to alarm some of you. It's all right. Our God has already won, and he's got it under control. But I want you today to see this for what it is. John's acknowledgement that there are some things that are just God-sized. I want you to see this. This is for free. It's not in your notes. But as I was getting ready this morning, I thought, you know, I didn't highlight this enough, and I want to change that right now. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. This word marveled, some of your translations have it as astonished, shocked, surprised, amazed. This, this moment of marveling when he sees what is before him is something he's not quite sure what to do with. What is it that he sees? He sees the great prostitute and the beast. This is the second part of what we started last week. The great prostitute and the beast. That's what is before him. And it's confusing. Have you ever had a moment in time where what you're seeing in front of you is not making good sense to you? Have you ever had a moment in time where you went to the Lord and you said, hey God, what am I supposed to do with this? If that's happened to you, or if it does happen to you, then understand that our God gives grace for that too. I want us to begin with a word of prayer because where we are going is some deep waters. And it's easy, it's easy for us to get separated. It's kind of like when I was in Belize, we went to Belize when I was in college. We went on a mission trip and went on a snorkeling adventure. I got separated from the group. I got separated from the group in the middle of the Caribbean, and it was a long way to shore. There was a part of me that was panic-stricken for a moment because the swells were six, eight feet. They were carrying me up and down, and then I realized, hey, stupid, the swells are going to carry you high enough you can see where to go. I just had to fight panic. For some of you, you're going to have to do that today. For this issue right here that we're going to take up in Revelation 17, it's not easy but it is important, and I want you to hear it with open hearts, open minds, and willing 
hearts and minds. Let's pray together for that very thing. Today, Lord Jesus, we've gathered in your house to hear from you. We've already worshiped. Thank you, Father, for the song that we've had, the the words that have been spoken over us, and for the opportunity to share this time together. But now, Lord, as we open your word, we need you to speak. We need you to use this word today to declare your greatness, your power, your authority in our lives. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would open our hearts and minds. This wouldn't merely be an academic exercise where we get information, but a spiritual one where we receive transformation, where you, Jesus, because of your glory, make clear the plans you have ahead. I ask, Father, your grace for the things we don't understand and your faithfulness to guide us through. So speak to us now, Lord Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. I want to tell you, friends, when we get to this part about marveling greatly, we turn back to the first half of the verse, of the chapter, excuse me, and we see what John saw. This great prostitute riding a beast, the same beast that we saw back in Revelation 13. And it's unsettling to John. He's worried. I want you to see verse 17, and you'll find an astonished apostle and an instructive angel with a riddle. Hear it again, like my friend Zach read it for you. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Here we have an interlude. The rest of this chapter is an interlude. It takes a break from the story and says, wait a minute, John, before you go any further, let's make sure you understand what you're seeing. I want to make sure, the angel's saying, that you understand what is happening here. Because if you don't understand all of it, then it might be alarming. He says, here's what you're going to see and here's what it means. I'm going to tell you the mystery. He's going to explain it. Well, this not-so-mysterious mystery is of the beast and the woman who rides her. They are to be understood as one. They're not two separate things. Rather, they represent one thing. The apostle is instructed at this point to understand that they, together, the woman and the beast, they represent a kingdom, a kingdom opposed to God. Let's be clear, friends. This is evil incarnate, and it is coming riding through the door. Now, I want to tell you this, and I want you to be clear. They don't come with shirts that say, I am evil, beware of me. Instead, they'll ride in the back door, just like they did in Matthew 4, quoting to you Scripture, using God's word and twisting it to their own ends and their own devices. They will twist God's word and they will pervert it and they will misuse it and they'll abuse it and they'll deceive a whole lot of people. Make sure you're not one of them. Make sure you're not one of them because John's being warned about it and he's warning you. He wants you to understand now this is how it's going to come. What do you mean they're going to deceive a lot of people? I want you to see this riddle there in verse 8. The beast was, 
Now, this is clear. That's past tense. Of course he was. We saw him back in chapter 13. We've seen his work all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But this, this riddle that is in verse 8, it is intending to parallel something that we saw in Revelation 4 and 5. Remember Revelation 4 and 5? It seems like a long time ago since we were there. Let's go back in our hearts and minds to it. Revelation 4 and 5, we're in the throne room of heaven. And what do the angels say over and over and over again? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. And I want you to see how Satan tries to copycat that. The beast was and is not, and he will be. He's about to rise. Now, I want to be clear with you. The fact that the beast was is something that we must cope with. Then there's the section where the beast was not. Well, when did that come about? What's coming about is he's thrown into the bottomless pit. Bottomless pit, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. This last part is the one I want you to get to. The beast is yet again and takes many down with him. When the beast comes out of that bottomless pit, he won't be out of it for long. Praise the Lord for that. Satan has lost and Jesus has won. We've read the end of the book and we know how it goes. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let yourself be afraid. Satan has already lost. And here's the best part of all. Jesus has won, and Satan knows he's lost. Now, he's not going to tell you that. He wants you to be deceived. See, this idea of he was, he was not, and he will be again. It's intended to be a, a trick, a deception. You see, like God, like Jesus, when he came, there was a time when he was. And there's a time when he was not, when he was dead. And then he rose from the grave on the third day. We know that story. We celebrate it every week, right? But when we get to this part of the story, Satan wants to counterfeit it. This is what Satan does. He takes something that God has made beautiful, and he tries to twist it. He tries to trick you. He wants to deceive you and say, well, see, I'm the same, just a little different. I'm not that far off. Let me just tell you, there are some things, no matter how close they might be, they're not quite the same. My handsome son is with me this morning. His mom is out of town for today, so we're making it on our own. Let me tell you a story about a time Josh and I found out close is not quite close enough. We were in Israel in 2020, right before the pandemic started. We'd been there 10, 10 days or so, and one of the things we like to do is drink root beer. We ordered a root beer because they had it on the menu. We were right down by the Mediterranean, beautiful spot. And let me tell you, friends, when that root beer came, it was exciting now. My son grabbed that bottle, and he took a big swig, and I could tell by the look on his face, something wasn't right. <laughs> something was wrong. And he looked at me and said, Dad, this root beer, something ain't right. And I thought, well, maybe they gave us a bad one. So I had one, too. I picked it up, and I took a drink. Have you ever gotten something in your mouth and you wish you hadn't? It was one of those kind of moments. And I looked at it thinking they must have given us something wrong. No, nope, print it right there. In English, root beer. 
And then I studied on it for a minute and I realized something important. We flavor ours with vanilla. They flavor theirs with dates. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they are not the same, friends. They are not the same. They might look the same. They might sound the same. They come in the same kind of bottle, but they are definitely not the same. And you know what we did with one of them? We poured it out. You know what we did with the other one? We shared it with all of our friends that were around us, saying, you're not going to believe how awful this is. And there was a great disparity, let me just tell you. For the women, they said, I want no part of it. For the men, they said, oh, i got to try it. I don't believe you, Darren. Let me have a sip. It's the, it's the, the reality that close is not close enough. I want to tell you, friends, some people will realize too late that they've settled for close, but it is not close enough. We see it all around us. People taking God's word and twisting it and misusing it and abusing it and saying, see, Jesus would be on my side. Be careful, friends. Jesus isn't on anybody's side. The important thing is for us to be on his side, for us to get with him, not him to get with us. Be careful, friends. Don't let people deceive you and lead you down dark alleys because you can be sure there's somebody waiting around the corner to smack you on the head. Maybe not soon, but too soon. I'm waving a flag here because I want you to see there's destruction coming for this beast. And not only for the beast, but for all of those. See it in verses 8 and 9. For all of those whose names were not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want to take you back to that. We studied that months ago now. It's not that they couldn't have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's that they chose not to have their names written there. Why? They wanted to be in charge of their own lives. They wanted to be in charge of their own journey. They wanted to be their own God. This is the mistake Satan made from the very beginning. He wanted God's place, not merely his own. Friends, today, I want to encourage you to recognize where Satan is headed. Utter and complete separation from God, eternal destruction and ruin for all of eternity, there will never be a time when he won't be ruined. There will never be a time when he won't be destroyed. There will never be a time when he will find union with God again. And that's where he's taking those who go with him. Don't be deceived. Friends, the only way you can avoid that is not by doing good works. It's not by coming to church. Don't get me wrong, we want you here. It's not by giving money to the church. It's not by partnering with mission groups. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but they all have one thing in common. They won't get you to heaven. The only thing they will is finding connection with Jesus himself, a personal connection where you give your life to Christ. This, friends, this is the essence of the need that all of us have doesn't mean any of us have a leg up on the others. just means some of us have already gotten started down that path. If you are here today and you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord and master of your life, today is your day. Today is the day that you can say, Jesus, 
come into my life. I don't want to find myself on the wrong end of this conversation. I've settled for date root beer when vanilla was available all the time. Today, friends, recognize that God is giving you this opportunity to make things right with him. And then our friend John gets a riddle. Actually, a warning that he needs a mind of wisdom to solve a riddle. It takes a mind of wisdom to tackle a riddle without a key. This is now the second time that we've seen this phrase, mind of wisdom, used. We saw it in Revelation 13, there when it was talking about the number 666. How to understand that? Here, likewise, we have a riddle, but we do not have a key. This, too, suggests that we should carefully and intrepidly interpret the vision. What does it mean, then, that these seven hills and these seven heads and the woman who is seated here, what are these and how shall we understand it? Let me just warn you about something. We have before us a locked box. We have no key for it. We must accept then what the apostle has given us just as it is and say, okay, Lord, there are some problems I cannot solve. Instead of being angry with you, Lord, I choose to trust you with them. The seven heads are seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one who is ruling currently, and one who is yet to come. We're going to take that up tonight at five at five because I want to tell you this section right here about the seven kings, there has been no small amount of ink spilled in trying to discern what that means. A lot of it, and a lot of it is esoteric and that's why I'm not bothering you with it this morning. Suffice it to say this, all of those kings have one thing in common, they all get defeated by Jesus. So instead of being all tore up about identifying who these kings are, let's celebrate the king that defeats them all. Today, friends, I want you to walk out of here with one thing in your heart and mind. Jesus has already won. There's an eighth king at the end of this section. There's an eighth king, and that is the beast himself. The beast's appearance is different distinct from the other rulers. He's not merely a human ruler who fi finds expression and gives evil its expression. No, this beast is evil incarnate. He is evil itself. He is the Satan seeking to undo all that God has created and ruin as much of God's creation as possible and destroy as many as possible who bear God's image. He appears in order to attack God and his kingdom one last time. The ten horns are ten kings who move against the Lamb. Like the kings earlier in this section, this same group, whoever they might be, they arise to power, but not for long. One hour, it says. Not necessarily 60 minutes, rather a very brief period of time. They rise up for one purpose, and that's to make war against the Lamb. Now, I'll tell you, when we see this section right here in verses 13 and 14, it's easy for us to 
be overwhelmed. A lamb being attacked? Surely this won't go well. You're right. Ten on one. It's not enough to defeat the lamb. The one still will step forward and wipe them all out. It's like watching a Chuck Norris show. You know when Chuck Norris walks through that door, it doesn't matter how many bad guys are in the room, he's going to knock them all down. It's one of my favorite things about watching Chuck Norris shows. I like to see people get kicked in the head with a boot. And let me tell you, that's exactly what the lamb is going to do. When you get to verse 14, I want you to see this. They're going to come against the lamb with everything they got. And the lamb is going to take them down. The lamb conquers. And along with him come the called, the chosen, and the faithful. Their assault on the lamb won't last long. It's only seven words in English and in Greek. And there it's concluded. The lamb has conquered. The war is over. The battle is won. The concept of the righteous having a hand in the victory is a standard apocalyptic theme. And we don't know exactly who these righteous ones, who these faithful ones, who these called and chosen ones are, but we know this, they're with the Lamb, and that's enough. I want to give you a couple of things to take home. One, when you're not certain about how to understand something, then allow the Bible to interpret itself. Allow the Bible to speak on its own behalf rather than you trying to tell the Bible what it means. God doesn't need your help. So how will you know? The more time you spend with the Bible, the less mysterious it becomes. It's like walking down the same road over and over and over again. Eventually, you become familiar not just with the path itself, but with everything on the path, with everything around the path. And you notice when things are different. You notice when things are, are changed. And you notice little things that others who walk the same path might miss. But it's because it's so familiar to you. Allowing the Bible to interpret itself for you means that you've traveled with the Bible down this road so many times that it's familiar to you. Let that be the harbinger that takes you on the way. Secondly, the Lamb takes those who are called, chosen, and faithful. Those are the only three elements needed for God's approval. Let's just pause here for a moment and recognize that all of us, all of us, all of us can find ourselves in this category. Called, chosen, and faithful. God does not ask you to do anything more than receive his calling Receive his choosing and be faithful to him. That's enough. You don't have to be successful. You don't have to be spectacular. You don't have to have any special talents. All you have to be is called, chosen, and faithful. I've known some people over the years who got so worked up about I've got to know every corner of it. I have to, ha have to check all these boxes. I have to do this dance for God's approval. I want you to see it again. The Lamb takes those who are called, chosen, and faithful. It doesn't say anything about anything else. Today, friends, be rejoicing 
that these three are within your reach. If you're hearing this today, then you can rejoice that this option exists for you. Let's finish up. Let's finish with an interpretation of the woman, the waters, and their purpose. Go with me to verse 15 through 18. The angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they're the beast. And they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They'll make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put into their hearts to carry out his purpose of being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. What does all this mean? It means this. Babylon will enjoy wide support and power. Babylon, what does that mean, Babylon? Well, we talked about this a little last week. Let's remind ourselves. Babylon is the New Testament word that is a stand-in for a secular world government, a government that, that rules without any sort of influence from God and an utter rejection of God. This is a stand-in name. It doesn't mean that place in Persia. Rather, it has with it the idea that Babylon can be anywhere. And there's been a lot of speculation about who Babylon is. We're not going to deal with that this morning. We'll take it up tonight. But let's say this right now. Babylon, that world government, they'll enjoy wide support and there will be a lot of people who go along with it. All of the people, in fact, will, it seems, stand in support of the prostitute. They'll want to be with her. And according to verse 18, she'll have a lot of authority. But not for long. There will arise a mutiny, a mutiny against the prostitute led by the beast and the multitudes. Those who had once stood with her now oppose her and they rise up together to strike her down. They'll utterly cast her into the fire and they'll hand over their authority, the kings, to the beast. They'll recognize in the rearview mirror that God created them for such a moment. We'll take up that topic tonight too. At some point, all of these will have rejected God and his counsel. In their rejection, in their rebellion, they will have followed the example of the accuser himself. And yet, even there, all of these are still under God's authority. Why? Because his authority is that broad. We can say safely, that that all fits under his tent. Let's give you two things to take home. One, recognize today that a divided house shall not stand. You see, in these last few verses that I read, verses 15 to 18, we see a moment in time where the separation comes apart, where this kingdom of Satan flies into pieces. They come apart. Make sure that you, friend, don't make the same mistake. Don't allow your heart to be divided or fragmented. Don't allow it to become separated into lots of little pieces going, going this way and that way. If you're going to walk with Jesus, then do it with your whole heart. Don't allow yourself to get distracted one way or the other. 
But if you're not, then acknowledge that too. Finally, remember that all things are under God's authority for all eternity. This is, if you don't have anything else on your note sheet, the one thing that I want you to write. This is what Satan doesn't want you to know. He wants you to believe that things will continue as they are, as they are right now, for always. Friends, I want to warn you, they won't be. And this takes us back to the twofold purpose of Revelation, a word of warning to those who are rejecting God, a word of encouragement to those who are of the Lamb. Which one of those is you? Well, if you are on the word of warning side, then here's your opportunity right here and right now to recognize where you're headed. If you're without Christ, if you're rejecting the lamb, if you're siding with those who would say, I don't need the lamb, I don't want his wisdom, I don't want to be instructed by him, I don't want his authority over my life, then recognize you've joined forces simply by that with Satan himself. And I want to encourage you to recognize that's a dead end path. You can change direction today, right here, this moment, today, now. You can say, I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm going to choose Jesus. You can do that right here. If you've never done it, it's as easy as ABC. A, admit you're a sinner, that you need a Savior. B, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the one who came to make that right. And C, confess Jesus as the Lord and master of your life. It's that easy. Notice I didn't say simple. I didn't say it was simple. Because what Jesus is going to ask from you is a life change, a transformed inside to be governed by him. Today, friends, invite Jesus to be the Lord and master of your life. It's the only way to avoid the destruction that lies ahead. Now, some will no doubt say, Darren, you're trying to scare people into heaven. No, I'm actually just trying to scare the hell out of them. And I mean that with all due respect. But friends, this is the reality that we're facing. I want you to recognize it too. Today, if you've never invited Christ into your life, it's a good day to do that. When we stand up and sing in just a second, you start coming and meet me right down here. Maybe you've done that, but you've held something back. You've hung back and said, well, I'll keep some eggs in this other basket in case this Jesus thing doesn't work out. Friends, I want you to recognize what you're doing there. You're committing a mutiny against Jesus' authority. Maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ. It's not hard to do that. You can do it right where you're sitting. Jesus, I'm giving it all to you. Every part of me. The part that goes to school, the part that goes to work, the part that is at home, the part that is my social part. I'm putting it all in your authority and I'm, I'm walking with you. Today, you can do that. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you about it. I'll be happy to do so. My staff will be here with me. You can come and kneel at this altar and talk to the Lord about it. Today, this is your day to choose him wholeheartedly maybe just maybe you need to do that this is your day pray with me won't you
Today, Lord Jesus, we recognize that you've given us a great gift. And that gift is you. I know, Jesus, there are many who need to respond to this, who have chosen to hang on to their little corner of autonomy and authority for themselves. All the while you're saying, come to me. Come to me, child, and let me heal the broken parts. I pray, Father, for freedom in this place and that your spirit would move here that because of what you're doing in each of our lives, that you would let your spirit flow here, Lord Jesus, and let renewal start in each of our lives. For we know we cannot see the movement of God across the city until it changes us first. Will you do that work here now, Lord Jesus? I pray, Lord, for those who are struggling, who are hurting, who are wounded, who are fearful, that you would remind them, Lord Jesus, you have already won. So I pray for freedom in this place, Lord Jesus. Would you do your work in our lives now? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.